Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, timeless wisdom to enrich every day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Living Wisely, Living Well, October 6th. Non-attachment is the true wealth. One who identifies himself with things is always afraid of losing them. And if he fears the loss, he has, in a sense, lost it already, at least in his own mind. Attachment is an attitude which many people carry to their graves. An old man on his deathbed once cried out to his son, Trim that lamp wick, son. The oil is running low. His own life was running low, and still he worried about saving money on lamp oil. The person of non-attachment wants nothing. And nothing is all anyone really needs, if he is rich in God. Non-attachment is a word that people who are interested in spiritual things often toss about, and it is a very, very complicated issue. Swami's not talking about attachment to people here, so I'm going to sort of put that aside. We're just going to talk about attachment to things. I'm going to give you an example from my own experience, and I hope it communicates because it's, it's, a, little, it's, a, it's a little unique to my life, but maybe because it taught me, maybe I can communicate to you. I, I was raised in a family where we were, we were always comfortable, <clears throat> but... but our values were never material. We had, we had a few nice things, but it just wasn't, it wasn't the custom of our house to think in terms of <clears throat> setting a beautiful table or having, you know, well, anything in particular. We just lived in a more or less utilitarian manner, and I, that, that suited me, that suited all of us. In fact, it wasn't until I met Swami and got to Ananda that I even actually began to appreciate even the idea of... Um, well, spending money just for beauty. I've, I've since, so I, I feel I've sort of come to a, a nice balance of spending money for beauty, that beauty itself is a value worth spending. So I, I've never had a, a craving or an interest in acquisition. In fact, during the time that I was uh, living in the monastery, which was my first 10 years on the spiritual path with Ananda, Living at Ananda Village, I lived in the monastery. I had a trailer that I believe cost $150. We used to call them travel trailers. It was like those little sort of roundy things that you would attach to the back of a car. It kind of, it's kind of a 1950s image, and that's what they were. We just find them here and there in empty lots, and I found mine in an empty lot and dragged it over to the where I lived. No, no indoor plumbing, no running water. We had a spigot not too far from where we lived, and that was incredible luxury. You could fill your gallon bottles, and I, I like to think I could live that way again. I loved living that way. No electricity, no anything around you. Just created this this um, aura of calmness. Of course, now computers and cell phones are essential to simple living, actually, because we live globally, so I don't know if we could do it. But... When, when you live in a trailer that's just scarcely bigger than you are, alone in this trailer, which w- the, the barrier between you and the natural world is extremely thin, and in some cases even perme- uh, 
perforated. There were holes, a few holes in the floor of my trailer where a little grass would grow through, which I rather enjoyed it coming through. Um, I used to, I used to sit in the trailer at night and the, right under my bed, which was really not very far. Let's see, what were they? I was going to say, I was going to say skunks. There were skunks, but there were also raccoons who would come at night and, oh, porcupines, that's the word I'm looking for, porcupines. They would come and they would eat the trailer. <laughs> so I would lie there at night, and about this far from my head, they were chewing on the bottom of the trailer. Eventually we had to, we had to trap the porcupines because that was not a good plan. But, you know, you're just lying there and your feet from the natural world and the porcupines are eating your house. It was, there was something, I have to say, absolutely delightful about it. I owned a harmonium, a harmonium I still own. That's the field organ that we used to chant with. And in about 1972, a friend of mine went to India and came back and gave me a Rudraksha Mala. Um, I would show you the mala, but the story, this is the story that I don't have it anymore. The Rudraksha Mala, which was also a pretty expensive item because it was a very fine mala. And eventually it was strung with pearls. as marker beads, 108 beads, some of them pearls. And it also, as I traveled over the next 40 years of my life, it went with me everywhere. It was multiple times blessed by Swami. Extra special beads were added that were blessed by Saya Baba, blessed by Ananda Moima, a gift from Swami Kriyananda, dipped in the Ganges, taken you know, to the Jordan River. Just everywhere I went, that mala went with me, and I wore it. I carried it like this. When I was a nun there, I had very little, and I loved, I always looked forward to having less. I couldn't quite figure out how I could have less, because I wanted my harmonium and my mala and a meditation blanket that I still have. But what I'm really wanting to say is, I was so attached to that mala that there was exactly what Swami describes in here. There was a constant small anxiety in my mind about losing that mala. And it was most of the time people have malas is a string of prayer beads. You could think rosary, but it's for doing Kriya. Um, just exactly what he described. You know, it's, it's interesting. When our lives are terribly complex and there's so many things around us, we have a house, we have two cars, we have a boat, we have a swimming pool, we have children, we have all their possessions. You know, it's just, it's very hard to feel in all that atmosphere where the attachment is because there's just so many waves going like this, you can't even think about it. But when you have very little and the, the field of your consciousness is not very cluttered, then you really feel the effect. That's why I'm talking about this experience, which is so different than most people's. So over 40 years... I had that mala with me, and the more I had it, the more it increased in value in my life. It actually, I mean, I would hold it in my hand to meditate. I would take it with me when I lay down to sleep and keep it right near me. I would see it first thing in the morning. I would put it on. Just That was just my life. And I always was a little anxious. And then, just last January, I was in Israel for the leading pilgrimage trip. I led two, I I was one of the leaders for two back-to-back pilgrimages in January, which is only half a year ago, but since this is 2020, it seems like centuries ago. 
we took the we took the group. The, this was the first group. The first group we went from Jerusalem to Tiberias, which is by the Sea of Galilee, to this particular hotel. I stayed in the hotel. I had my own room. Blah blah. And and then the day we left Tiberias, we got on the bus and we went to Jerusalem. When I got to Jerusalem, I went like this, and I didn't have my mala, and I I knew that I had just walked out of the hotel room and left it on the side of the bed, that I'd never, I'd never touched it. It wasn't that I'd put it somewhere else. I just knew that my mind had gone blank and I'd walked out. And it was so interesting to me. I was absolutely fine. It's like, it had finally happened. It had finally happened. I had lost it. And it was, and I called the hotel and then, a week or ten days later when I went back to the same hotel with a different group, I actually persuaded the manager to allow me to go into the room even though it was occupied, which was really a no-no. So she and a security officer come in and they allowed me to crawl around on the floor and lift the mattress and search everywhere, but I knew it was gone. And But the most interesting thing about it, the most interesting thing was I didn't care. And, and I have to say, and even to this moment I have to say, I actually was relieved. Because I, I had lost it, just like Swami said, I'd lost it a hundred times in my mind. I just kept, I was always living through. That's what Swami means when he says, if you're afraid of losing it, in your mind you've already lost it. Because I was living through the experience of losing it. Because there were, there were dozens of times in between when I would go, like, where is it? Oh, it's right here, and I put it on. Or, oh, it's just slipped onto the floor, there it is. Or a hundred, at least a hundred times that that happened. And each time I'd have to go through this. And now, I don't have it anymore. And uh, But I was very impressed by the fact that there wasn't a, a, a ripple on my consciousness. You know, it's very interesting. This is, well, it, I, I, excuse me, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go there for a moment. So... What I also appreciated, which is really important to appreciate, is that we walk around with millions of subconscious tensions all the time. Just millions of things that are always vibrating in such a way as to eat a little bit of our freedom. And it doesn't mean, I mean, I have to say, I haven't yet replaced that mala. I like having, I mean, I have this little bracelet mala that somebody gave me, which works fine because we, when we do our spiritual practice of kriyas, you have to keep track of, of, of them in rounds of 12. And a, a mala is a very convenient way to do it. Think rosary again if you're not familiar with it. You, everybody's seen the way people use rosaries. It's just a way to not have to distract your mind and keep track. So I use this little bracelet, 24 beads. It works. It has nothing. It has, it has, it's, it's nice. It was a gift. But, you know, I don't fear it. I don't fear losing it. And I presume I'll replace my mala, and I'm beginning to think that I will. But the freedom of having one less thing to to have one less tie to this world. Now, what I was starting to say, it doesn't mean you can't participate in this world. It doesn't mean you can't have that big house and both of those cars and that boat and that, well, I'll look around my own house, that recording equipment and a couple of really beautiful pieces of art on the wall and and things of enormous spiritual significance of relics of Swami Kriyananda that I, I'm 
preserving for the ages and even relics of Paramahansa Yogananda that are of immense spiritual value. You can have all those things, but they're all, they all come from God and they all belong to God. And when we, when we transit from this world, I mean, just try to hold on to it. <laughs> just grip that mala as tight as you can and see if you could take it with you to the astral world. Not a chance. And even the harder you grip that, the more confused your soul becomes. That's why Swami puts this, the man is dying and he's such a miser that he's, you know, he's worried about, you know, spending an extra rupee or two on the lamp oil. Really, is that is that what we want to be thinking about? And you see, that's what we're always thinking about. It may become dramatic when we die and it, it becomes vivid because everything else is cleared off in what's left. You know, just what's left. What's left when that whole thing is cleared off? It's very, it's very, very interesting to note because that defines the work that you have to do. And once again, I want to say this clearly. As long as we are responsible for the life that we're living, we have to be committed to it and live it fully. Swamiji was very careful with his possessions. And, and it actually, he was much more careful and respectful of his possessions than I was because I was not attached. But I, what I was actually was irresponsible. Swamiji was, is, was exceedingly responsible. But, and it was true, he could walk away in, in a heartbeat and never look back. He, he, he made things the way they needed to be. He had the things that he needed for the work he had to do. But it was all for the purpose of serving Master. It wasn't, I need these things to feel important. I need these things there that I have to have them. This, this is the reminder of, you know, even the relics that I have of Swamiji. It's like, you know, it's not, he is not in the meditation blanket he gave me in 1973, which I have also been very attached to, but I have learned from the mala to hold it more lightly than I held it before. And of course, it's important to me, and it's a responsibility to have it. It's, it's, a, it's permeated with powerful divine vibrations, and it would, it would be inappropriate of me to be careless with that. And I've learned from Swami, you have to be very careful. But as soon as it's time to let it go, or as soon as Divine Mother takes it by fire, flood, war, or death, it's just gone, just like that. Because you don't want those subconscious whirlpools of anxiety to be always running your life. Everything is about freedom. Absolutely everything is about freedom. And that's what we're looking for, my friends. So, Swami says, Non-attachment is the true wealth. One who identifies himself with things is always afraid of losing them. And if he fears the loss, he has, in a sense lost it already, at least in his own mind. Attachment is an attitude which many people carry to their graves. An old man on his deathbed once cried out to his son, Trim that lamp wick, son. The oil is running low. His own life was running low, and still he worried about saving money. The person of non-attachment wants nothing. And nothing is all anyone really needs if he is rich in God. Joy to you, my friends.
Our work is made possible by inspired listeners, so if you feel to support Asha, you can make a one-time donation, or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you.